Lamping here, PHRA's Executive Director. Welcome to PHRA's podcast, P4, People, Purpose, Passion, Pittsburgh. P4 is brought to you by our members and sponsors, Lattice and the University of Pittsburgh, Executive MBA Programs, and the Center for Executive Education. We appreciate their support, and we'll hear from them throughout the podcast, beginning with the University of Pittsburgh Executive MBA Programs and Center for Executive Education. Especially in times of uncertainty and challenge, America needs exceptional leaders to guide our healthcare institutions. The highly ranked Executive MBA in Healthcare at the Joseph M. Katz Graduate School of Business at the University of Pittsburgh is designed to empower and enable leaders to think critically, make informed decisions, and inspire confidence. Forge your path into healthcare innovation by visiting business.pit.edu slash EMBA healthcare. In Episode 5, Pete Schramm and Jessica Brooks-Woods, President and CEO of the Pittsburgh Business Group on Health, encourage us all to acknowledge that we have the power to help those less fortunate, and it is time to invest in resources to make positive change. Jessica, welcome to the P4 podcast today. We're excited to learn a lot more about your background and the million things that you've done in the past and the 5 million things that you're doing right now. So first question we always ask here is, uh, who are you? How'd you get to where you are today? And tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, thank you for inviting me. This is very exciting. Uh, Who am I is a big question. Uh, Some refer to me as the velvet hammer in healthcare. I do a lot of work in ensuring that uh, folks are accountable and and doing what they should to ensure that we and our families have access to good quality health care. But first and foremost, Jessica Brooks Woods. I'm a mom, four children, a wife. And um, from a career perspective, I'm the president and CEO of the Pittsburgh Business Group One Health. Also uh, the co-founder of EARN and EARN Staffing Solutions, which is a DEI and staffing firm and also uh, the founder of Health Desk, which is a health equity tool um, that we use in acute settings for, for patients when they feel like they need advocacy. Um, so those are my day jobs. I sit on a lot of boards, <laughs> uh, a lot of organizations I serve on, including um, the Pennsylvania Insurance State Exchange, which is very, very exciting to ensure all Pennsylvanians have access to affordable health care and um, many other organizations, My Tree, a medical um, cannabis company and so some for-profit boards, some nonprofit boards, a lot of boards in the healthcare space as well. Uh, so that's that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about where you went to school, where you grew up and some of those jobs that you had, you know, kind of leading up to this because you didn't just uh, wake up one day and say, all right, now I'm the leader of 17 different organizations <laughs> and on 37 different boards, right? There's something, give us, come on, open up a little bit There's- more of that, that, that story chapter right behind. There's a journey for sure. So I'm from Western Pennsylvania, uh, the Mon Valley. So I'm a Valley girl, I like to say. And Clareton, uh, Elizabeth Ford and Clareton specifically, which um, really led me to my undergrad at Penn State University. We had an office within my high school, a Penn State office, which was strategically placed, kind of like ROTC and the Army was in some ways. But Penn State placed themselves there in Clareton, Pennsylvania. And um gave me exposure to something I was interested in seeking. And my older sister actually was the first to go to college and get a degree in our family. She's seven years older. She went to Penn State, a branch campus that um, obviously provided exposure for me. So that was my um, 
where I went. I went to State College, had a great time. So for those listening, we are. I had to say that anyone who goes to Penn State knows that. And um, so I had a great time. I majored in business. I thought uh, earlier on that I wanted to be a cardiologist or a neurologist when I was in middle school. And so healthcare was always um, of interest to me. However, through studying what it took and, and you know, to get to that point, um, and also the speed to having financial independence, I chose business instead of medicine. And, um, and uh, again, the, the office in my high school really guided me there. I knew that I wanted to dress up nice, wear nice suits and travel internationally. Those are my, <laughs> that's all I knew. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I had a first cousin who went to Cornell and she was in human resources. And so she introduced me to that career as something I should consider. Um, went to Small College of Business. Um, I majored in uh, management and with an HR concentration and international business, which afforded me the opportunity to study abroad um, in Costa Rica while I was an undergrad for uh, a semester I was there and lived there and, and really immersed myself in that, um, which had me seek out organizations that could potentially do more of that with. Um, and I wanted to ensure after college that I was able to uh, work with a global company to create that pathway to international business. Um, in between that, I was an intern um, for Highmark, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield in, in Pittsburgh through the En-ROADS program, which um, assured that uh, minority students had opportunities to have uh, internships within corporate America. And the goal of En-ROADS was to also ensure that you had a job opportunity and offer by the time you graduated. So I was able to actually have um, three years of uh, interning at a health insurance company which um, made me attractive in addition to my grades uh, to Lockheed Martin, which would, ended up being my first employer. We share that in common uh, and was able to join Lockheed Martin, um, their human resource leadership development program, which I was only one of 15 people a year selected into that, to that program. So I feel very privileged and honored and um, lucky in, in a sense, very blessed to have had that opportunity. And that was my inference into a global company uh, and had a great opportunity there to work with a lot of other LDPs. So I was in HR and I was able to hire um, and help uh, recruit engineers and technical folks and operational leadership development folks and a lot of young people out of different colleges and universities uh, and did some really interesting work in Syracuse, New York with Lockheed Martin and in Morristown, New Jersey with Lockheed Martin in the MS2 division. Um, healthcare was always important to me, like I mentioned before, and we were changing presidents at the time. So we were, the Bush administration was going out and we weren't, I wasn't, we weren't sure it was be Obama. We, we kind of thought maybe Hillary um, at that time. So, but either way, it was very clear that likely there would be a democratic shift in government. And it, that made sense for me to go into healthcare versus defense um, and kind of get back home uh, from New Jersey back to Pittsburgh. And uh, that that's when I reached out to my former employer where I interned, Highmark, and came back um, in HR in, um, at Highmark. I would, was interesting at that time because healthcare was changing so rapidly, I didn't have a traditional bureaucratic career, which is what I ran away from Pittsburgh. That's why I ran away from Pittsburgh. I didn't want to be pigeonholed or stuck. And, um, but because healthcare was so dynamic, the industry was going into from 
business to business to business to consumer. Um, I was able to be on mergers or acquisition teams from a, a diversity staffing acquisition perspective and a diversity and inclusion perspective in HR. So um, that was awesome. And then when the Affordable Care Act uh, was right on our heels, there were other uh, special teams for change management um, and ACA, um, uh, I guess you would say ambassadors um, that I was able to participate in, uh, which gave me access to providers, to some of the technical things that would need to take place to prepare for the ACA. Uh, and um, at that time, I also decided to go to grad school, um, which opened up a whole world of opportunity of what do you do after grad school? You make this major investment. I went to Carnegie Mellon University. It was a major investment and wanted to make sure that I got a return out of that. And I felt that it was um, an opportunity to move forward in my career at that point once I graduated, which is how I ended up leading the Pittsburgh Business Group One Health. What I'll was take the a degree? breath. <laughs> what, was the, what was the degree at, at Carnegie Mellon? Uh, master's in public management. And that was at the Heinz College. At, at the Heinz uh, College, CMU. okay. Mm -hmm. And so throughout this journey, you mentioned four kids. So there's some yeah. family going on. At which point did you say, okay, uh, I'm going to, you know, kind of turn on this uh, outside of work piece. Uh, where, where did that sort of enter into the picture? Well, that's, that's a great question. Actually, while I was a single mom while I was at Lockheed Martin my last year there, and I literally had this pivotal point where I had to choose between gas in my car or feeding my baby. And that was a, a very, it was a breaking point for me because I ran out of gas on the side of the road and roadside assistance um, had to come get me. And I was late picking up my baby from daycare because I ran out of gas. And uh, this whole thing that I can do this, I, I could do it my family, everyone was here in, in Pittsburgh. Um, it opened my eyes to say, it's okay to need help. And honestly, I did not want to move back to Pittsburgh if I wasn't married. I felt like I would be single forever. Um, that was one of the reasons why I was holding on to during life, like, no. Um, but uh, my mentor, while I was at Highmark, she checked on me, like, I would say, probably every six months, religiously, just to say, are you ready to come back? And every time I would say, no, no, I, I'm having a good time. I'm learning, not ready to come back. And a part of me felt like coming back was failing and that I would be going, not really meeting what I set out to do. Um, and when that moment happened on the side of the road, I realized that coming back was necessary and that needing help um, and having a support system was strength. And so that really um, just changed everything and how I ended up back in healthcare. Uh, and then once I was here, I actually didn't end up alone. Three years later, I met my husband, uh, Marlon Woods, and um, at a gala, and um, and we were married within a year of meeting. He told me on our first date, which was the next day, May second, twenty ten, that I, he knew I was his wife. And um, the next May, we were married, and the May after that, we had our first child together, Jace. Um, and then after that, it's it's been ongoing, and we really didn't make a decision um, to hold off on our, building our family. Um, and me going to grad school. At the time we met, I was actually just applying for grad school. Wasn't sure yet if I would be accepted to CMU, but I, I ended up being accepted. We, we got married, planned our wedding during that time. Um, and then also, and by the next uh, semester or next year, I was, we were having our first child 
Um, when I graduated from CMU uh, three years later, we were on our way to having our second child, our third, number three. And then um, the final four MJ came um, in 2017. So my career has been building, my education has been you know, developing all while my family has been growing um, and really hadn't pressed the pause button, just kept moving in both, both parts. I, would, I get asked the question all the time, like how? Is that even possible? I even while I was at CMU, someone asked me how it was possible I didn't have a nanny. I just had Jesse at the time, um, and 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 Jace, and um, and really I have a good partner. I have a, a an awesome husband who, and we work together in this, and we ensure that we support one another, and um, and we do what we have to do, <laughs> including picking up me up from work. And me nursing the baby in between classes at CMU, like whatever it takes, we, we've done it to ensure that we've been able to grow. And so I need to brag about Jessica a little bit more uh, because it's remarkable how she says that she has a great partner. And then Marlon also says that he has a great partner. So it's this kind of cycle of goodness and just great people coming together. And that's where you and I actually got introduced introduced whenever Marlon was interviewing me on a similar podcast like this. And he said, Pete, just wait until you meet my rock star wife, uh, better half of this puzzle piece. So uh, congratulations on everything that you've accomplished, Jessica. You said that you wanted to dress up, travel internationally, and it seems like you were successful uh, down in Costa Rica, turned up the success at this gala on May 1st of 2010. And then wasn't there a third thing that you wanted to accomplish in life? Negotiating wear business suits. <laughs> That's what it was. Um, yes, yes. I wanted to ensure that I, was, I had the opportunity to to look sharp and do good. <laughs> to look sharp and do good. It's almost like you're trying to do what's right, respect others and perform with excellence, right? Uh, that's, that's, that's important because that's what uh, uh, the mission was at Lockheed Martin where both Je Jessica and I worked previously. So Jessica, we talk about all these different experiences, a bunch of different hats that you have worn and continue to wear uh, personally and professionally. And you're around HR more than the average person, I'd say. Talk to us about the biggest trend that you're seeing. What's impacting everybody in HR and organizations across the country? That's a great question. Uh, when we talk about heroes, uh, healthcare heroes, I believe I work with the, the most um, unrecognized heroes, which are HR professionals and more specifically benefits leaders in the HR profession. Um, during this, this significant, you know, two to three years that we've been in um, with the pandemic, um, social unrest, um, the, the fact that we're facing um, mental health challenges like never before, the folks that I work with every day are in the epicenter of that, strategizing, working hard to take care of the people that rely on them, as well as the companies that um, employ them and that they're all striving to ensure is successful. And so um, when I think about what all employers are or HR leaders are faced with, um, people, the, the fact that they are ha having to face people challenges in a more customizable way um, than ever before, that um, no longer can we cohort our, our, our populations, uh, that we have to realize that we have unique circumstances and differences that are all housed potentially under, you know, one EIN number, one tax ID um, called an organization. 
Uh, and the fact that we're in an environment for the first time that's more virtual than ever before, regardless of industry, and that um, the people we take care of are beyond those that have access to badge into our four walls, that that also includes their families. Equity is probably the top priority issue within the DEI um, space uh, within HR function that is not only an HR issue, it's now at the board level, um, stakeholders, shareholder level, um, of course, the CEO level, and, um, and definitely in, in HR from across diversity, equity, inclusion practitioners to talent acquisition practitioners to OD and those driving culture and change to HR benefits. And for the first time, um, these functions within HR have this common commonality or common challenge that they're trying to solve for. Um, and, and I think that's the most um, significant opportunity um, for every single organization and every HR leader to understand um, that they haven't been trained in. That's the reality of diversity, inclusion, belonging um, in many ways, but not equity in the sense of um, that we're talking about comprehensively beyond pay. Um, actual, how are people doing and how are we ensuring that we're not doing them harm? And that's a really, really big responsibility um, that's facing HR professionals today. Jessica, if we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, you honed in on the equity piece right there. What's kind of your uh, definition of equity or how would you kind of br break those up? I'm with you that it's, there's, there's a, a huge need to not only emphasize this, but to educate everybody on what everything is. So from your perspective, if you were to you know, break it down a little bit, how would you help everybody listening understand Jessica's opinion here? Where I, what I often say is where we have disparate outcomes, we need a disparate level of effort to address those issues. And um, that's where inequity comes in. Um, so in order to create equity, there are certain individuals um, within our organizations that have, for a variety of reasons, not been able to fare as well. And um, equity to me means acknowledging that and understanding that we have the power to impact that and then putting in the resources, time and commitment to address those things. When I talk about health equity, oftentimes I'm talking about race. And there's a variety of other intersections that impact health equity. But I do believe just because of historical um, design of our medical system, where health was ultimately practiced on, experimented on, was, were, were, was based on race and socioeconomic sta status in this country. And so I talk about health equity and race equity was when your race does not determine how you fare and your health status where that does not determine whether or not you have the ability to achieve a health status of great standing or not. Um, and so when I talk about health equity, you have to have, um, you take your blinders off and actually see the issues and see people and then be able to account for that in your policies, practices and procedures. Okay. I learn a little bit more. Actually, I learn a lot a bit more every time that we talk. So thanks for shedding some light on that. Digging deeper. Uh, you know, you talked about the Carnegie Mellon, uh, you know, background. Whenever we think about Carnegie Mellon, 
there's always that kind of uh, computer science piece of it, software development piece, artificial intelligence piece. Have you ever seen anything where we have the flavor of AI and equity kind of coming together? Is that sort of coming into the, the HR realm today? It is. It is in a variety of different ways. There's some um, new, a lot of new innovators actually are, are really more focused and laser focused on how do they achieve outcomes um, and understand equity and the impact to that. I would say that anything that's attempted that prior to more recent years would likely didn't have um, the team members that were diverse, inclusive (laughs) enough to consider um, who they ultimately wanted to impact or how it would adversely impact those using the tools. So um, today we have a lot of different designers from health systems to health plans to startup companies really looking at what they've developed and are developing and ensuring that they have a more equitable lens, whether that means ensuring they have more diverse teams at the table, that they're recruiting that, they have more diverse um, focus groups or customers that they're looking at, they're expanding their reach in ways to account for um, what AI probably wasn't initially designed to do, which was ensure everyone um, would be able to be whole after using whatever the tool was. Um, so I'm personally working on a project, Health Desk, and we talked about that prior to this podcast, um, that actually is the future state is designed to, to partner the stories of those who are most disenfranchised in the healthcare delivery system with AI by incorporating their voices real time and evolving um, solution sets where employee or patients can be helped in acute settings by being heard. And the idea is that we can't expect all bias to be eliminated. That's not reality. And so, um, and everyone's not gonna turn into a robot and we need humans. So how do you account for um, bias? How do you account for that and the outcomes we want to achieve and the things that we do out of our our conscious control to impact that. And I believe AI has a really, really significant opportunity there. I've seen um, solutions in in the mental health space um, with AI and equity aligning. A lot of new um, tech startups are really incorporating a DEI lens from recruitment and how you hire folks Um, to how you develop them or match them in many cases with opportunities within your organization uh, and ensuring that the voices of their their populations are included in that. Um, I'm seeing a lot of different things in the marketplace um, from an HR perspective and healthcare perspective, which is my primary lane. And then from a staffing perspective and culture perspective, there's some really, really cool, um, I guess we'll see in the coming years, um, tools and resources and companies that are, are really developing and, and hanging their flag on equity because they understand that the world is global and they want to be able to have more of the market share. It's smart, it's smart business to be able to ensure that you have diversity and perspectives and experiences at the table. At the HR Academy uh, that the PHRA put on recently, they talked about, um, a diverse workforce is going to be 40% more profitable, right? So whenever we can truly open up, uh, you know, these opportunities and bring other people to the table, 
we're going to you know, do better as an organization, more productive, more profitable, uh, a better culture overall. So everything that you're saying not only is the right thing to do, but it also helps businesses win. And I think that's kind of the messaging uh, that's going to be really valuable to, to the leaders of organizations. Whenever you tie it back to, yes, yeah, social impact is one piece, but also the ROI, right? And so it's 100%. hitting them on, on the hard side and the soft side. Now, Jessica, as we get into this, you know, DEI can be uh, a, a fragile, uh, you know, place to, to navigate, right? It, you know, people come from different backgrounds again, right? And the, the, that can be tricky in some capacities. I've heard you talk before about trust and respect. What do you do? What are some best practices uh, whenever you're initially getting into a conversation with somebody, whether it's DEI related or not, how do we build trust? How do we build respect? Where's that, you know, kind of tips and tricks for that strong foundation so that we can then start to build and grow together? Well, being consistent is key. And for me as a leader and, and leading my own organization and um, organizations, but my, my team members um, is, is them seeing me being consistent and vulnerable. I've had to be very vulnerable um, during this time as a leader and in and, and the pandemic and admit at, t- at times that I'm overwhelmed with my kids home from school and also being an organization that um, needed to remain not only relevant, but essential during the pandemic. Um, and I have a diverse team. I have um, African-American team members, male and female. I have um, a Jewish team member. I have a Muslim medical director. I have, you know, a, from religion perspective, age. I'm the, I'm, I think I'm the youngest on my team. <laughs> Everyone who I lead is older than me. Um, and whether they're a direct employee or a consultant. And um, so I've had to, to be vulnerable with them and, and also um, show them where I have, um, have had uncertainty. Uh, also listening um, is, is critical. Um, during the pandemic, we educate so much around mental health uh, and we read on it, we're educating about it. And I had to look introspectively and say, am I really paying attention to the mental health of my own team and staff? So immediately pivoted and created mental health days, which meant, and that really came from a request. Employee said, I really am overwhelmed. It was like right when the pandemic was at its height and George Floyd murder happened. And um, and I had someone say, I'm overwhelmed and I need some time off. And, and that triggered me to say, well, that person was brave enough to tell me, but they probably aren't the only one and implemented mental health days. Um, last year, um, the last quarter, every Friday was off for the quarter because I recognized how hard we were doing serving others. We're a service organization. So all we do is move and serve. Um, and I had to consider um, my team. So one being being sensitive and discerning um, and, and, and seeing people for, for who they are and, and for what's important to them is critical. And, and that's allowed me to be able to really build trust. I, I, I would say I, we have a high trusting team, not only with me and my team members, but also collectively um, as an organization uh, that we can lean on one another um, and be consistent and be reliable. Um, and also I've you know been very honest with my story telling over the past few years and, and sharing um, my why. And I think that resonates with people. Um, the ability to see someone who's willing to um, 
some would say risk it all or put put them on the line but it's for me it's I don't have a choice like I don't see it as a risk I see it as my responsibility um, but others see it as a risk and when when people are willing uh, are able to see that you're you're willing to risk um, whether it's comfortability or reputation or you know whatever it may be um, that's a value for a greater good people can trust you and um, as a result I've been able to gather and gain trust of not only my team members, but multiple stakeholders in the region and throughout the country. And um, I don't take that for granted. And that's the other part about it. I really value um, the fact that I am trusted and I and I honor that. Let me just uh, kind of correct you right there. You said multiple stakeholders around the region and country. I'd say many, many, many <laughs> stakeholders around around the globe, and it's again, you know, pr pretty phenomenal, Jessica. But you, you talk there right about vulnerability, and you mentioned early in our conversation, whenever the car stopped, and you said, "Hey, I, I've I've been uptight, and maybe I do need to let my guard down a little bit, and let people know what's what's going on," and they got to see more of the real Jessica. And so it seems like this recurring theme of being real and being genuine kind of helps with the path to success and people want to work with you. And I don't think it's possible to be part of multiple organizations, let alone lead multiple organizations without having that trust and respect. And some of this you can learn out of a book and you, you know, went to school a couple of times, but most of it you can't. So where'd you develop some of this EQ, IQ along the way of interacting with people? And, you know, as people are listening, beginning, early, end of their career, middle of their career, how can we put some more tools in our toolbox around the people engagement process and building up the EQ and the IQ along the way? Oh, wow. What a great question. You're making me like go inside deep down. Um, well, obviously, you know, not obviously, but I do come from a very strong faith-based family. My dad was an evangelist. Um, we're a, a family. They have five children and um, didn't have a lot of means, but we never really recognized that because it was such a loving, um, loving home and loving um, family. And we were all in it together. So this idea of like, leave no man behind, that was that was how we rolled, right? And um, to the point where my sister went to Penn State, she was the first, I went, I was the second, my younger sister and I were roommates there and my younger brother went and now my sister graduated two kids from there. So um, this leave no man behind, um, woman behind um, mantra it is very important to me and a part of my core values. I also recognized um, a lot of, I learned from, from everyone. I learned from peers. I learned from um, those who I reported to. In some cases, I had great leaders and, I, and others I didn't. Um, and, and neither one, none, no one was actually perfect. So both of them had both pros and cons within their leadership style. And I, and I gleaned from that. Uh, and, and most of my experiences up until recently were new. You know, well, I hadn't led an organization before I led an organization. <laughs> I hadn't led this, uh, the amount of team members and the complexity of budgets and, and growth and diversification before I had to, that accountability and responsibility. And I had to glean from others and be willing to um, know that I didn't know um, everything, but I, I truly, my faith told me that God was, would send me the resources of people 
um, that I needed. And I trusted that. And that's what's happened. And it's allowed me to be able to um, also elevate folks um, and, and who would have maybe at times been walked past or ignored or just not, not really fully tapped into or optimized. And, and I've wanted to be optimized throughout my life and my career. I wanted to be value, valued. Um, and um, early, earlier on in my life, I, I didn't always feel like that um, in my educational system and, and um, a variety of different um, areas in, throughout my life. And so I valued that and seeing people and um, helping them really see themselves. Um, and that's and that's been a big part of I believe how I've learned how to how to navigate how to lead um, how to value others um, and it's paid off it's paying off um, because it's it's um, it's bigger than me and I understand that I understand that my roles um, that I, I have that I've been afforded and I'm honored to have um, aren't um, you know just it's a gift. It's a gift that I have to be able to serve others in the way that I do, and it's purposeful, and um, and that matters. Most, I'm not sure if I answered definitely. your question. <laughs> you, so you, you you talked a lot around the the EQ piece of it, and that's super helpful because uh, that that's something that is almost innate, right, and something that we d develop uh, over time, but it it, it comes. Uh, with a certain space and with a certain skill set and with a certain background. Um, so yeah, you did you did help. Tell us about another individual, right? Is there somebody else who you're like, wow, whenever it comes to EQ and really understanding that emotional intelligence um, that has maybe influenced your life, who would you sort of highlight? And what are some of the uh, kind of ways that they wield uh, their, their skills uh, around EQ? That's, that's a really good question. I have um, a personal example, um, which was my father. Uh, he he was an evangelist, isn't was he's not he's here, but he doesn't do it anymore. Um, but he was an evangelist, and I would see him one prepare. Uh, we would go. I have early early memories with him, like in the dark on his floor, praying, preparing for the for a Sunday. Um, while I'm trying to like sneak in his drawer and grab some socks and steal the socks or something. And, and it was um, the time that he took and the care that he had to ensure that he was fully prepared um, for others um, and to be sensitive to um, the message that um, he was uh, to share. And then how there were lines of people, he would like pour his heart out, pour his soul out, and there would be lines of people just wanting time with him and wanting more, wanting whether it was prayer or to share a testimony and and how he was able to, to really um, just respond to so many different personalities, issues with grace. And I think that being able to witness that Sunday after Sunday or traveling from one state or country to the next um, really shaped my ability to um, respond and, and, and communicate and to see people and to, um, have a broader perspective on, on that. Um, and also, honestly, being a black woman, um, growing up being, being told 
that you have to perform strong, you know, twice as hard. You have to work harder to get hopefully recognized. And, and that training was in our family, but it was also in my internships and, and through the organizations that I connected with or mentors that kind of found their way to say, hey, this is what you have to do to be able to navigate and be respected or be seen in the room. And um, so there was this like kind of informal, formal training that um, said, if you're not emotionally intelligent, if you can't really um, manage in this dynamic, you might not succeed. You might not be able to really be able to take care of your family. Uh, so part of that wasn't a choice and it was a resilience built, built up from those experiences that ultimately um, has afforded the ability to, 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 in this question, have an EQ that um, is able to, to create um, great, great success and impact. Um, and then there's um, a woman here in Pittsburgh that I witnessed, uh, Karen Feinstein. She's the president and CEO of the Jewish Healthcare Foundation and the Pittsburgh um, uh, Regional Health Initiative. And she's just the rooms, well, one, she's a trailblazer. And, and during a time where she took quality and worked um, to ensure that quality was incorporated, just like green belts, you're familiar with green belts and black belts and from Lockheed Martin days, um, taking that methodology and incorporating that in healthcare before it was even popular to talk about quality in the way we're talking about and holding um, health systems accountable and the rooms that she's been in, the relationships she's been able to maintain, the continuous innovation um, that she creates year over year. I sit on one of her boards, so I get to witness it um, really closely. It's quite impressive uh, and it's someone that I'm really, really in awe of um, and her ability to surround herself with folks from all different generations. And oftentimes she's, she's the oldest person in the room, the oldest person on her team, but she's able to connect regardless of what position you come from or what your age is or your background um, in a way that I think is pretty, pretty impressive. So that's one person I would definitely point to that if you're in the Pittsburgh area, I would say, look her up, send her a note, maybe try to have tea or coffee with her. You'll, you'll get a lot from that conversation. Jessica, I loved how you talked about, uh, you know, met mentorship in a couple of different capacities, um, you know, throughout our, our conversation today. So it's, it's cool to hear that you've had multiple different influencers in your life, some more active uh, professionally, some personally, uh, but it's, it's, it's cool how you can say, hey, I've been successful, but I, I, I didn't do it alone. Right. And there's these great people repeatedly that you've talked about in your stories where they've been part of this journey. And it all started off with the, the foundation of faith and, you know, moving around the, the country uh, throughout healthcare to defense internationally back into the healthcare scene and in, you know, kind of optimizing the, the, the power of people and opening up those different opportunities for people. It's almost like you should be uh, you know, write, writing a book or something about some of these uh, stories. So I'll, I'll let you talk, tell us a little bit more about that shortly. I wanna dig into some uh, rapid fire questions okay. and hear a little bit more about Jessica. Don't, doesn't give you a whole lot of time to think through these things, uh, but Jessica, is there a book that you're reading right now? I am reading a book, it's, uh, it's called Medical Apartheid by Harriet Washington. And it takes you from um, just the where medical medical system care has been created from 
um, before colonialism till modern day. So it's a long, very researched book that has taken me quite some time to get through. Uh, I think I'm on page 200 and maybe have 200 more to go, but it's, um, it, I'm learning a lot and, and connecting a lot of dots from reading that book. Yeah. Is there another read that you would recommend uh, to anybody else that's listening here? One of your faves. Oh my gosh. One of my faves. Um, is it called? I think it's for you. Um, I don't know the exact title. I do have it next to my bed, but it's it's a really good book because it talks talks to you about um, like your why and who you're for. And those are two different things. Like what, what your, you know, your why is versus like, how do you identify who your who is um, so that you can really, really, uh, really meet your full potential and your full purpose in life. Um, and I will be happy to send you the title of that book so that you can like maybe put it in the chat, but it, it does, is now on the top of my mind. Okay, sounds good. You talked a little bit about equity before. Where can we go and get some more information, latest and greatest news, tips, best practices around um, kind of uh, topics around that? Well, definitely the Pittsburgh Business Group One Health website. So um, www.pbghpa.org. There's also many um, organizations that uh, there's a new Race and Health Foundation that just launched um, Sanjay, Dr. Sanjay Prasad uh, started that foundation. Um, uh, PCORI, uh, which is a federal um, agency uh, that's doing a lot of research um, in the space. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation um, is doing a lot of work in that space as well with a lot of new resources. Um, and then there's some really cool tech startups like Health in Her Hue and um, Earth um, and uh, Radical Health. Those are all like cool tech startups um, launched by women of color that are doing phenomenal work in this space um, and some mental health apps too that ensure that you have inclusivity in the resources that you're deploying to your workforce. So I would definitely encourage um, any, especially employers, HR leaders that are listening to this podcast to um, consider and look at these new innovative resources that have been developed to ensure that no, not one of your population, um, your employees or their families are left behind in the, in the solutions that you're trying to bring to the marketplace. All right, last two. Uh, it's around time management and habits and routines. So any tips and tricks around time management, uh, you know, other than what did Hermione have in the Harry Potter movie, like a, a, a necklace that she turned to go back in time? I don't know if you have one of those, uh, but if, if you do, where, where can we buy it? Um, so time management and habits and routines. Talk us through a little bit of those. Well, I definitely, well, I'm heading to the gym right after this. So yeah. that is very important. I, I definitely make sure that I, I, I see my trainer at least twice a week. So it's like really pushed hard and I get to there and um, independently to the gym at least um, two to three additional times a week. So that's important um, to make sure that's prioritized in my day mostly when the kids are at school. So <laughs> I can make sure there's no other reasons why I can't get there. Um, I definitely do, I make time. I do make, as you, we've spoke, I, I date my husband. We, we make sure that we, we have a good time. We mix a lot of business and pleasure, honestly. So be open to that because sometimes at different points of your career in life, um, you can't always have this 
this optimal goal of true work-life balance. We merge our work life a lot and it works for us. Um, and we have fun doing our work. <laughs> um, and so I, I would encourage that um, if you have to talk at a conference or a business trip, take your spouse with you or take your kids and, and have them be a part of those experiences with you. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you do sacrifice sleeping and healthcare. Um, that's not the right part of advice, but I do, I, I personally do sacrifice sleep when it's necessary. Um, and so I might have early mornings or late nights at times to make sure I get it all done. Uh, and more, more than all of that is surround yourself with team members, consultants, vendors, and partners that you enjoy working with that are aligned with your values and are actually rolling in the same direction um, so that you can get there faster one, but you can really be safe and enjoy it at the same time. I love it. What's the quote? If you want to get there fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you, you go together. Uh, right. It seems like you've, you've gone pretty far in a short amount of time. So congratulations again, Jessica, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure and we look forward to watching you as you continue to grow and positively influence uh, many, many lives around the region, the country, and the world. Thank you. I appreciate it. In a world where businesses are coming to terms with the demands of employee choice, solutions to improve workplace culture are crucial. Businesses of all sizes are doing everything they can to attract and retain top talent during this unprecedented time. Connection to the team, a sense of belonging, and a feeling of purpose rank high in the needs of today's work-from-anywhere society. Sound familiar? At Lattice, we understand the importance team building and positive employee-employer relationships have on the success of a workplace. Done well, top-down and peer-to-peer -peer knowledge sharing can unlock new levels of productivity and profitability to create a culture of cohesive collaboration. Ongoing high-quality connections reduce burnout and mitigate mental health issues, more important now than ever with social isolation on the rise. Lattice is a tool to make internal employee engagement easier and much more impactful for the entire organization. Lattice is a proven, secure workplace solution that is easy to implement for organizations of all sizes. So what are you waiting for? Let's Lattice. The PHRA P4 podcast was created to help build HR readers through discussions with thought and business leaders on the most critical success factor of any business, its people. If you enjoy an episode, please help us spread the word by subscribing to the podcast and providing us a rating. We would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode, tag PHRA, and share it with your followers. Until next time, thank you for watching and thank you for listening.